0: Let's pray. Holy God, merciful Father, we pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, the eyes of our heart are open to you. That you fill us with your ever-present, ever-wonderful, ever-renewing word so that in joy we follow Jesus evermore. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When I first began the series on the prophets, we started with Elijah. And when I said the name Elijah, most people have heard of his name, but didn't know too much about him. I'm going to guess the same is with Samuel. As a matter of fact, I talked with one person last week, and they jokingly said, "Oh, that's my cousin Sam." So most people might have heard about Samuel, but don't know too much about him. But just like Elijah, who is who was is an extremely important prophet, so is Samuel. So we need to learn from Samuel as well, and just as we learned about the culture in which two in which Elijah was called, we need to learn a little bit about the culture into which Samuel was called. Now, we don't have a specific date of birth for Samuel. The main consensus is he was born about 1100 BC, which is about several hundred years before Elijah. And we know if he's born at that time it would have been right after the book of Judges. So let me show you where all of that falls in. If you think of the, uh, all the books of the Bible as a library, a bookcase, if you will, you're going to find that the first five books of the Bible are called the law. So those are the ones in red. So we have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Then there's the history of the nation of Israel. So it starts with Joshua and then Judges. And then our Bible has Ruth right there, but in the Hebrew Bible, actually it was Judges and then Samuel. So that's where it fits in into the history. So if we take a look at the very last chapter, the last lines really, the last verses of the book of Judges, it says, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That was the state of the nation of Israel. And as we've said, there's a lot of parallels to our current age as well, isn't it? That everyone is doing what is right in their eyes. That's the culture into which Samuel was born, into the culture in which he was called. And even the the priest, Eli, the high priest of the temple, his sons were priests as well. But Eli didn't even stop them from doing what they were doing. He rebuked them, but he didn't stop them from doing what was right in their eyes. And we're going to find out more about them later on. So that's the culture, right? So what do we know then about his birth? Whereas we didn't know anything about Elijah, he just kind of pops in on the scene, we actually know quite a bit about Samuel. Samuel's mother, her name was Hannah. And before she had Samuel, she was barren. And she grieved greatly. She wanted a child. And so, they yearly, they would go to the temple. And at the temple one year, she prayed. And it says this from First Samuel chapter 1, verse 10. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son then i will give him to the lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head and the lord heard her and gave her a son samuel and you should know that the name samuel can be translated a couple different ways but one of the primary ways is heard of god so this comes into place Several, several ways. One is that God heard the prayers of Hannah. And so Hannah bore a son, Samuel. Now, this phrase, though, that I have highlighted in yellow, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of my life. That one struck me. I mean, when we have a child, we often think, what will they be when they grow up? You know, and we don't know. We, we hope it's a good profession of some sort, something like that. But very few of us say, I will give my child unto the Lord all the days of their life. What a, a beautiful prayer. What a beautiful honoring of God in this. And she keeps that vow. She has Samuel for about three years until he's weaned. So around three, could be a little bit older. But then they go back to the temple. And she meets Eli there. And she says this, For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. In this case, lent means given to the Lord or dedicated unto the Lord. And so Samuel grows up under the care of Eli. And we come to chapter 3, and Samuel is probably about 12 years old by this time. So in this message, you're going to find that where there's darkness, God shines His light. Where there's silence, God calls. He speaks and He establishes. So let us learn from Samuel here. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. You see, God does speak. And he speaks to us, but not all the time. God acts all the time. As a matter of fact, the universe, our very life, is kept in place by his very word. But he doesn't speak all of the time. Oftentimes, there are long stretches of time where there is silence. And for the nation of Israel, when there were long sections of silence, that was seen as judgment. That was often seen as judgment upon the nation of Israel. I mean, you have to understand, God had already spoken to them quite a bit. God had spoken to Moses. They had the Ten Commandments. He spoke to Moses throughout the 40 years in the desert. He spoke to Joshua. He spoke to Gideon. So he spoke quite a bit. Now, did the people obey? what God had said. Eh, Maybe in the beginning, right? But they went astray pretty fast, pretty quickly. And it isn't interesting in our day and age too, we have Scripture, God has spoken, but we always want something new, don't we? We always want something new here. In our fallen nature, we often want a new word from God rather than following what he has already said. We want something to tickle our ears, tickle our fancy, rather than a pastor, a preacher, just proclaiming the word of God. Oh no, tell us something new. God will withhold his word as judgment. Listen to what Amos, another prophet, wrote. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. So, this is the state. This is the state of the nation of Israel. God's word was, was, God was quiet. During this time. And there was a dimness. That happened to the nation of Israel. And even a dimness. With with Eli. A spiritual dimness. It says this. At that time Eli. Whose sight had begun to grow dim. So that he could not see. Was lying down in his own place. So on one level. It's easy to see that. Eli was old. Right? That he was simply. An older man, and that he physically could not see any more. But when you take a look at the next verse, if there's a juxtaposition there. And let's see if I have it here. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark was. So here we have Eli with his dim eyesight. Now you don't want to read into Scripture and look for things that aren't there. But in this case, the juxtaposition is actually pretty clear. The dimness of Eli's sight is a metaphor for his spiritual dimness. It is a metaphor for the spiritual dimness in the state of Israel. And remember, Eli had sons, and although he rebuked them, he kept overlooking what they were doing, what the blasphemy they were doing in the eyes of the Lord. But in that darkness, God's light still shines. It says this, the lamp of God had not yet gone out and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. So what what is this talking about? The lamp of God. Well, in the holy place, remember it's the holy place and the holy of holies. The holy of holies is where the ark was. In the holy place, they had a lampstand with seven branches on it. We call this a menorah. Why is it called a menorah? Because it means lamp. Ta da! But so important is the menorah to the nation of Israel. That then when they were declared a state in 1948, it became their national emblem. So if you take a look, it's still, you see the seven-branched menorah lamp on the state of Israel. Why is it so important? Because this is the lamp of God. And it was different than the other things within the holy place. Many of the things were overlaid by gold. But the lampstand was solid gold. It was pure, and it was to be lit continuously with pure olive oil. It was never to go out. So you see, this is the light of God that would lead that led Israel on and would lead Israel on, throughout the time in the desert throughout the time in the temple, throughout the time immemorial. The light of God. You know, we find God's light and His lamp lighting our ways in so many places in Scripture. It says this in 2 Samuel, For you are my lamp, O Lord, and God lightens my darkness. And you know this one from Psalm 118. Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. But this lamp was but a foreshadow. God's lamp was but a foreshadow of the things to come. Because who is Christ Jesus? He is the light of the world, right? And He is the true light that gives light to everyone. And his light shows that he is the way and the only way to the Father. And he also calls us, the church, that we are to be the light of the world. To shine his light into the darkness. And this light and this lamp even carries through revelation. So this is no small thing that it says in comparison to Eli's dimness. The lamp of God, the light of God, had not gone out. And Samuel was in that light. And by the way, it's still in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant. The light of God, the Ark of the Covenant, and the Ark of the Covenant was where God said he would meet man. And so, indeed, God met Samuel that day so in the darkness god's light shines and when there is silence god calls i'm going to read verse 4 through 9 then the lord called samuel and said here i am and ran to eli. And then the lord called samuel and he said here i am and ran to eli and said here i am for you called me but he said i did not call lie down again For you called me, then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy, therefore Eli said to Samuel, "Go, lie down, and if He calls you, you shall say, "Speak, Lord, for your servant hears so Samuel went down, went, and lay down in his place, so we're pretty familiar with that account what Stuck out for me is verse 7. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And I was thinking, he's been there since about three years old, and he has been serving faithfully under the tutelage of Eli. And he's heard everything about the Lord. How could he not yet recognize the Lord? And it turns out he didn't because the Lord hadn't revealed himself to him. And it isn't that interesting. And I was thinking, does that apply in our day and age? And I think it does. I think it does. You see, I think there are a lot of people who come to church who go through all of the rituals of church and yet don't know the Lord. I mean, I've got this as a note here. It says, there are many people who grow through the rituals of their faith, but their knowledge of God is only ritual. It's not until God reveals himself to them that they truly come to know the Lord. I mean, I think about that in my own life. You know, that I grew up, we went to church all the time, but it was a ritual. and Although I would say I was Christian, I didn't know the Lord. God wasn't real to me. So I think there's a lot of people like that. Because it's only really until God reveals Himself to you, to others, that He becomes real. There's an alive, we would say there's an aliveness in the Spirit. Or we might even say being born again. Let me give you a testimony. This is from a fellow named Norm Rasmussen. So he grew up in a Christian household. He confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior. And then he, at the age of 18, he went off to Vietnam. And it left him troubled, to say the very least. In his own words, near the age of 35, I was a wreck. I was facing death by essentially my own choosing. My marriage was essentially dissolved. My life was in shambles. Despair descended upon me and fear of dying began to suddenly plague my thoughts. What if there really was a heaven and a hell? How could I actually prove there wasn't? My despair eventually turned into desperation. So he cried out to God. Many, many nights he cried out to God. But there was silence. And finally, he gave up. But he says, then, early one Saturday morning, as day began to break, the bedroom instantly became about 30% brighter. I looked for a light to be on, but there was none. I thought maybe the sun was up, and I'd fallen asleep, and I'd waken hours later, but the clock said differently. No, I wasn't imagining it, nor was I dreaming it. The light was real. It was of equal intensity throughout the room. An invisible presence was in my room. The reason I know so, the reason I know so was because an indescribable love was so strong in the room that it seemed that there was not enough room to contain it all. I felt like I was being shoved back by a big hand in my bed. The love was so strong. And I knew, don't ask me how I knew, but I knew that it had to be the presence of Jesus Christ in my room. At that moment, he spoke very powerful to me. Not audibly, I don't think, but powerfully to my inner being. The intensity of it was so strong that though it might have just as been, well, audible. He told me what I had to do to make my relationship work with him Then instantly all the anguish and the pain and misery and confusion and doubt of a lifetime was sucked out of me and all that was left was peace. Sweet, beautiful peace and knowing that God was real. Then the room instantly was darkened again as it was before and the presence of Christ was now gone. The whole thing didn't take but a few brief moments to happen, but happen, it did. I was now a believer. Moments later, I pulled the covers off me, sat at the right side of the bed, and made a solemn vow to God. I said, thank you, Lord, for revealing yourself to me in a way that I can believe in you. I know I don't deserve what has just happened here, and I promise to serve you The rest of my life, I'll do whatever you ask of me. That's a story about being born again. Of knowing Jesus in a powerful way. Why didn't Jesus answer this fellow before that? I don't know. I could conjecture that perhaps he wasn't yet ready to listen. But when he heard Jesus speak, Jesus became real to him that day. In a like manner, the Lord became real to Samuel that day. Eli said this to him. He said, there, therefore, Eli said, go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. I bet you've heard that one before. We often are so busy telling the Lord our problems, our issues, what's going on in our lives, that we are quiet and ready to listen to him. Now, I don't mean necessarily in a revelation that Samuel had, or even this fellow Norm Rasmussen had, but to let God speak to you. And how does he speak? through His Word and through the power of the Holy Spirit. So what would it be like coming before His Word, before you even start to be quiet and say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. I'm ready to listen to what you have to say to me. See, in the darkness, God shines his light. In the silence, God calls and speaks. And this is what he said to Samuel. And the Lord came and stood calling as other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. So when the Lord came and stood before him, it doesn't mean that he came and physically stood before him as a man would stand before another man. This is about the presence of the Lord in the example that I gave to you. It is about the presence of God being there. And notice the three other times he says Samuel, just singular, but now he says Samuel, Samuel. And that is the call to him, that the importance of the call, the urgency of the call. And we find this other places in Scripture too. Remember where Abraham was about to sacrifice his son, Isaac. It says this, But the angel of the Lord came to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And then Moses around the burning bush when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses! And Moses said, Here I am. Here I am. Samuel was ready to listen. And he said, Speak, for your servant hears. And this is what the Lord then said. The Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. This sounds pretty exciting, right? Like, wow, you got something really exciting to tell me. But when you're a prophet of God, the news isn't always good. And this stands in stark contrast. And I want to be very clear about this. This stands in stark contrast to many of the so-called prophets of today. And I call them so-called prophets because they are not prophets. They want to tickle your ears. They want to tell you about all the good things that are going to happen in your life. They're going to tell you about the job you're going to get, who you're going to marry, all the prosperity that's going to befall your way. I have a word of the Lord from you. But if you take a look at the prophets in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the word of the Lord is not always kind. As a matter of fact, it's often very harsh. If you take a look at Isaac, or I'm sorry, Isaiah, if you take a look at Isaiah, Or Jeremiah. Or if you really want to be shocked, just read the opening couple sentences of Hosea. There's a reason we're not doing Hosea today because I think it would be too hard for you to take in. The word of the Lord is often a rebuke. And if you just want to let Scripture interpret Scripture about what it means to tingle their ears, 2 Kings chapter 21. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel Behold, I am bringing upon Jerusalem and Judah such disaster that the ears of every one who hears it will tingle. Oh, all right. Let's take a look at another Jeremiah chapter 19. You shall say, hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Behold, I am bringing such disaster upon the place that the ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. So if somebody says, I have the word of the Lord for you and it will make your ears tingle, be forewarned, be forewarned. You can understand, by the way, why Samuel is going to be uh, hesitant to give the word of the Lord to Eli, because this is what the Lord told Samuel. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I've spoken concerning his house from the beginning to the end. And I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall shall not be atoned for by sacrificing or offering forever. So I have a rhetorical question for you. Does God care what happens in his house? Yes, very much so. He says my house is to be a holy house. It is to be dedicated unto me. And the people in my house are to follow my words, my commandments. See, Eli's sons, what were they doing? Well, they were sleeping with the other women who were serving at the temple. They were taking extra food from the sacrificial offerings. They were doing all of this and more. Their sin was not accidental. It was on purpose. And they kept doing it. Not only did they defile themselves, they defiled the priesthood. And so there is a warning in that for all churches who say that they're house of God. If there's any blasphemy, any sin in the house of God, it needs to be taken care of. It needs to be dealt with because God does care what happens in His house. He will not turn a blind eye to it. You see, where there is obedience to God's word and repentance when you fail, there is compassion and forgiveness. But where there is rejection of God's word and no repentance, there is eternal unforgiveness. And that's a hard message, isn't it? I mean, we have made hell into such a casual thing. Oh, you're just going to go to hell for that. But there is eternal unforgiveness. And I don't know about you, but that strikes me at my heart. About total, eternal unforgiveness with God. I don't want that. So, we try to follow God's word. And when we do fail and fall, we repent. And start again. So. This is the word of the Lord that Samuel gave to Eli. And whether it's out of acceptance or, re- or resignation. Eli says it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. So in the silence God. Calls he speaks. And he establishes. His prophet. It says this As Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all of Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. So from that day on, he grew. In the word of the Lord, he matured. And there's this phrase, and the Lord was with him. You see, this story, it's really easy to make this all about Samuel. But who is it really about? It's about the Lord. It is about the Lord who shines light in darkness. It is about the Lord who speaks. It is about the Lord who calls. It is about the Lord who establishes. You see, when we say the Lord be with you, it's not just this casual little thing. We want the Lord to be with you. Because apart from the Lord, everything falls apart. It is the Lord that truly makes things stand or fall. It is the Lord who truly does the work that lasts eternally. And so when Samuel gave that prophecy to Eli, two things happened. One, Eli had already heard the prophecy before from another man. And that Samuel said the same thing, confirmed that the Lord was with him. And that this really was the word of the Lord. And so Samuel was established as a prophet And whatever he said from the Lord came true. And that is how you know he was a prophet. Because a prophet who speaks from the Lord, if it does not come true, they are a false prophet. You see, many many so-called prophets today say, well, I don't have to be true all the time. I don't have to be correct all of the time, which is nonsense. They are not prophets. But Samuel did not let any of the, the Lord did not let any of the words that Samuel spoke fall to the ground. They were all fulfilled. Where there is darkness, God, his light shines. Where there's silence, God calls, he speaks, and he establishes all by his word, all to his glory. So for you, if there is spiritual dimness in your life, come before the Lord, repent and seek His forgiveness. And before you read the Bible, pray, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Amen.